Good morning. This is Erin. Hey, Erin. I have a question. <laughs> That's typically why people call, but what's going on? Well, I'm concerned and need some guidance on how to prepare or train my staff on how general education staff are essential in the world of special education. Uh-oh. Right now, I'm hearing from some teachers, not all, but some, that general education staff are not required to implement the accommodations or modifications for students, that those things um, are the job of the special education and oh. they won't implement them on accommodations and modifications in the general education classroom. Sounds like we have a misunderstanding and a battle a-brewing. Uh, yes, I would agree. Can you help? Welcome to Season 2 of On the Call, Ennis Britton's special education law podcast. I'm Erin Wessendorf-Fortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. I mean, if it's not the proverbial bad guy, I don't know what it is, right? Mm. I mean, I hate when it's it, we wind up pitting staff against each other because we don't have to be general ed staff against the special education staff, right? I it mean, often t- turns out that way. It, <laughs> not it, often. Not it's often. Often when we're involved, Correct. I guess, right? I mean, we are always, we are not, as I will call it, the sunshine puppy dogs and rainbows situation. No, no one calls the attorneys for those. Why would you pay someone to that's do that? That's why we have children, right? Because they, they just love us no matter what. No, we that's not true. <laughs> no, that's not true <laughs> That's either. why I have Doggone a dog. That. That's why you have a dog. The dog <laughs> does that, except when he's mad at me and then he takes my things. But, you know, I... I love when general education staff believe this, and I'm maybe dogging on them for this episode. So I promise in other episodes we'll do ones where I'm not because I do believe they're integral to the entire process for from anywhere from child find and evaluation all the way through, if you will, um, graduation, if not even beyond. But for the instances when we are not aligned, I think we have to go back and remember why are general education staff so important? And I think that's because both 504 and IDEA always harken back to this idea that we're just building on gen ed, right? Gen ed is our foundation, right? It might be that we're, I don't know that it's our roof or our ceiling, but I think it is our foundation. And for 504, it's more of a, what, an equality or an access sort of issue, right? And so FAPE under 504, you know, at least to to really focus on what that means, it's that schools are required to provide services that are designed to meet the individual needs of the individuals with disabilities as adequately as the needs of individuals without disabilities are met. That's really where that equality or that access is really focused on with 504. The anti-discrimination statute, basically. Correct. That, fundamentally, that's what it's about. Idea, a little more elaborate, right? So there, it's aspirational. And, you know, I point to the very plans themselves. It's not that you couldn't have a goal in a 504 plan, but typically you don't see them there. That's what you see in an IEP. Why? Because idea is about setting goals and aspiring to them. And that shows right through in both the eligibility under idea and the FAPE standard. Uh, So to be eligible under IDEA, we know you've got to meet one of the categories depending on the state and the age of the child. Um, That's either 12 or 13 eligibility categories. And then you need to require specially designed instruction as a result of matching that description uh, of a disability. But really under specially designed instruction, I mean, I feel like we at least start to go, oh, well, now it's something separate and different. But it's really not. Specially designed instruction under the regs is defined to mean adapting as appropriate to the needs of the child, the content, methodology, or delivery of instruction. That sounds a little bit like, oh, I don't know, modification, but fine, um, to address the needs of the child and to ensure access of that child to general education curriculum so they can meet the educational standards that apply to all. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're, they're in with both of them. 504, IDEA, we have this foundation of general education. So we can't just sort of, you know, go, oh, well, you're an identified kiddo now. I don't have to worry about giving anything extra to you. Everyone in the building is is really supposed to provide extra to that child if it's identified in their IEP or their 504 is appropriate. And if we go to back to the bad old days, pre at least pre-idea, um, we're looking at a situation where we had categories of children like non-educably mentally retarded. Like, can you imagine, right? No. So, so that's when you look at that as kind of the genesis of these laws. That even points more, shines more of a spotlight on the idea: this is about general education and integrating these children, which means. This is about more than just our related service providers and intervention specialists. But then in the districts, I think you and I have chuckled before this because we said, okay, well, where does it touch in the school? I know we already had a pod on extracurriculars, right? And that really is targeted towards accommodations and modifications for 504s. But it, I mean, you could do a pod on everything. You could have a pod on testing accommodations. You could have a pod on medical accommodations with regard to, you know, individualized healthcare plans that nurses implement before and after school programs. Where's the application there? I mean, this is everything really that a student and a school district, when they have this intersection, what that can mean for that student to look at how can we best promote that equality and that access so that they're receiving that same access, whether IEP or 504, to that general education curriculum or to the school environment, just as any other peer. Absolutely. Right? And so when we look at it, I think how then, I mean, it sounds nice and easy and, you know, it's just what would we do, right, Jeremy? But how do schools mess up? Right? Well, I, I mean, was a high school social studies teacher, so I know how to mess this up. <laughs> All the special ed people are listening are like, oh, God. <laughs> now they've pegged you. They now they have pegged. completely pegged you. They know like, I'm, I doing got you. I'm doing penance. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you work off. Are you in purgatory right now? Yeah, is that I what think happens? so, yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> so when you look at claims then under this aspect, like mm-hmm. how can schools really run afoul? Aside from the practical areas where we'll talk about later, I mean, what's a court really going to look at? Because that's that's why we care, right? Yeah. And, and I think a, a court is th- – this can be fundamental to anything when we're not uh, appropriately accommodating. It could be s- as simple as – well, we've denied FAPE and we just need to make up for it, maybe some comp ed or something. It can get really complicated really quickly. When things go totally sideways, it could be a parent unilaterally enrolling their child elsewhere, seeking reimbursement. It could be a parent who, because of the school's failure to implement, is starting to build a stronger case, not just looking backwards for reimbursement, but also looking forwards prospectively. This child can't be educated in this gen ed setting, which is Contrary to what the law wants, but we can make it look that way if we have consistently not done what the IEP says. And that's really looking at then whatever we have done is inadequate to what has been provided to your typical peer, right? Right. And so I think where we have gone in in this um, pod at times, we've used these not horrible cases, but I will call them like, whoa, something has terribly gone awry here for having a case maybe – come out as strong as it has, right? So there was a case out of Pennsylvania in July of 23. It was Rogers versus Pocono Mountain School District in Pennsylvania. And so if you're in this school district in Pennsylvania, you're at all involved. 
we are only talking about this on the after effects, right? We are Monday morning quarterbacking this. We probably don't know all of the details. I mean, I'm not licensed in Pennsylvania. I don't, Jeremy, you no. are not licensed no. in Pennsylvania. So we only learn from the mistakes of others. It's a little bit... Um, it's the great German word of what schadenfreude, right? It says taking pleasure in other people's pain is what that means. I, I'm really not doing that. But we learn from from the mistakes of others. So in this case, right, where it sort of came out, there was a um, – the case was brought by a 19-year-old African-American student. The student was on an IEP. He was on the IEP and SLD for written expression and reading fluency. Also had diagnoses of conduct disorder, ADHD, and ODD. Brought the suit – earlier than he was 19, right? More when he was a high school student. But while he was in high school, his placement on his his IEP was in a therapeutic emotional support program. It was really designed for students who had, you know, they lacked sort of educational success due to emotional behavioral issues, not necessarily always due to their academic need, so much as maybe their sort of mental health, emotional behavioral issues. But what happened is, as, as is want, right, in the IEP, he receives services in this program. He also has an aide who is his escort, is what they called him in this district. Sounds strange. I don't know if that meant, and I couldn't tell from the facts of the case, if that meant he only had an escort when he was in the hallways and moving around the school, or if it meant an actual aide was with him throughout all of his day. It could be a Pennsylvania thing. I'm not sure. But he was at the school, arrived at school, and so you can tell how old – these cases always take a long time, right? So Mm -hmm. he he arrived at school on June 14th, 2018. A couple of things there. One is how long this takes, right? Yes. You know, cautionary tale. So here we are just this this summer. We're recording this in the fall of 23, and – this uh, popped up and we're the kind of dorks that it was like, holy smokes, look at this case. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. So, you know, here we are five years later. Uh, Another thing that jumps out to me, June 14th, not only is that Flag Day, a rather important holiday, (laughs) kicking off the hanging of bunting and whatnot, um, but June 14th, a lot of schools aren't operating, typical schools. So I wonder, we don't, as Aaron mentioned, we don't get all the details here, but you wonder, is this some sort of special school setting which makes what follows even more concerning probably not just to us but also to a court. Right. And so he had gone – and I wish the court had given me that much. And to be honest, I I did not dig in to go through every single brief that was ever filed because it's more fun to read the actual opinion of the court and to try to glean it from there. So when he arrived at school, his escort is not present in the front office. Okay, front office – um, secretarial staff, send him on down. Go on down your classroom. You'll be fine. So he goes with another student. So he and another student, Caucasian student, right? He's African-American. He and a Caucasian student go down the hallway. As he leaves the front office, he puts his headphones on. Headphones are on his IEP as an accommodation. So my assumption is that they are there for focus, possibly. They're there for maybe input, right? Might have some sensory processing going on with loud sounds. So he puts in his headphones. Uh, they're earbud type of headphones. So he and this other student are walking down the hallway to go to their classroom. An individual approaches them and tells him to get his headphones out. And that's pretty much where it sort of spirals then out of control. Sort of. of. I mean, just minor details. The staff member then, it's not clear to the student at the time that this guy is a staff member. It's just a person in a hallway, which gives even more sort of information to this June 14th date because this individual never identifies himself to the student, just, you know, sort of tells him, get the headphones out. You need to, you can't be wearing headphones in this hallway, da, 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 right? And so onward he goes to the classroom, 
Staff member follows him to the classroom, pins him up against the wall with his forearm, and forcibly removes the headphones from his head. And the student, being in a special program, said, why, thank you, sir, for assisting me in complying with school rules, right? You know, the um, the conduct disorder, the ADHD, and the ODD, you know, they Kinda really... Kind of here. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it didn't go well for them. No, so maybe there was, an arrest There was a verbal and a physical charges. assault that happened, yeah. uh, and the student had charges pressed against him. Um, I believe it was aggravated assault Wow. Um, And also was suspended for two days. So it's kind of a low suspension, to be honest, when you're dealing with an aggravated assault. But then in turn, student, and I'm assuming parents at this time, just I'm making certain assumptions, but it could only be student if the parents didn't have guardianship. They sued the school, right? And they turn around and sued for Fourth Amendment violations and 14th Amendment uh, rights. So it was a 1983 action in order to sort of bring in these claims of failure to accommodate, failure to, you know, appropriately handle the student. And while it's procedural from the decision that came out of Pennsylvania, right, on a motion to dismiss, can they continue with the claims or is it kicked out of court? It's not getting kicked out of court. Mm-hmm. And so the court specifically said, oh, no, no, you can continue with your case against the court. And intriguing to me, you can continue with your case against the individual teacher. So the teacher has claims specifically against him as well, not just the school. The and person so, who did the pinning? The not, person not, who did the pinning and mm-hmm. the forcible removal of those ear pods yep. were, or earbuds or whatever. They're all the same anymore. That individual has some personal might. might, sorry. So, but might have some personal liability on the line. And, and and why this distinction is important that you made when you introduced this that it's procedural. So so my guess in our experience, this isn't going to see the light of day in Ooh. court. It's going to be settled. Yes, these cases get decided when there's a 1983 action like this, especially where there's a, somebody trying to assign individual liability on a staff member. If they get past that threshold of, yeah, this you've alleged enough here that we can proceed, there's going to be a settlement. An insurance company is going to step in. No one's going to feel great about it. I no. mean, maybe the student, but um, that that's how this gets resolved. So even though it's not the actual decision, it might as well be. But really where it comes down to, and the court said with this, this is why it may proceed. They allowed it to proceed. So they said, listen, you had a staff member who was unaware of any of why the student was in the building, where the student was going to the therapeutic emotional support program, was unaware of the earbud accommodation, and went up and talked to the kid, went up and asked the kid, and really wasn't an ask anymore as a demand to remove the headphones. And then it seemed as if, my opinion alone on this one, right, it seemed as if then it was an ego thing. The teacher wouldn't let it drop. The kid couldn't let it drop. Now, the kid did have an ODD and a conduct disorder and ADHD and all of that. So there might be reasons behind some of the ego then that is at play and why we can't let that, you know, dog with a bone. Mm-hmm. But in those moments, the court said, listen, the teacher actually acted in a way that would trigger the student. So whether the teacher had knowledge or not, they acted to trigger it. And then they actively did things that were going to make it worse. Right. And that was the problem. And so school district, you were absolutely allowed to be held on the line here because your staff were acting contra to an IEP that had accommodations and modifications in place for the student to allow the student to be successful. You didn't train your people on it. You didn't inform your people on it. And therefore, bam, you can have some liability and responsibility on this. And teacher, for not knowing and not just not knowing, making it worse 
you also have some personal liability yeah. on the line. Yeah, it would have been one thing if the teacher just said, hey, take those out. And that lack of knowledge, that's not going to amount to a constitutional no. violation. It's once you get into potentially a violation of the student's rights, that uh, constitutional rights, that that teacher is in maybe a little bit more trouble than, than otherwise. Which Is this a, a time maybe to switch over then? Yeah. Because I think this – we're emphasizing knowing the accommodations, knowing the plan. Mm-hmm. And I look at this and also see very much a matter of knowing your role as a staff member. And, and I say this with all respect, both of us, uh, for the folks who choose to be there in the schools doing the hard work in mm-hmm. a tough profession um, – when I first walked into a classroom, that was after spending my entire life in schools because my dad and mother were both educators. My dad was a superintendent at that point. So I had it not beat into my head, but just like via osmosis or something. Like I had a pretty good understanding of what I was supposed to do. Like my dad's advice before the first day, keep your kids out of the principal's office. Take care of your own problems, right? And and so I kind of had enough knowledge that when I saw a kid walking down the hallway – maybe a dress code violation, I'm not going to put that kid on the spot in the moment in front of peers and set everybody up for failure. I'm going to take care of it another way. We got a staff member here who missed that lesson. Completely. Uh, It wasn't, I mean, you say know your role and I instantly go know your role and shut your hole. But it's not. I was thinking more of the rock, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's not exactly, you know, don't say anything. That's not what it is. And there can be lines in the sand that, okay, two kids are physically assaulting each other in the hallway. I don't know any of those kids. I'm walking on by. No, no, no. Health, safety, welfare. That's something completely different, right? When you're talking about those three items, I think we do have an obligation no matter what, to become involved. But when you're talking a dress code violation, an earbud, a tech violation, those sorts of things that you could later that day go to the front office, go to a principal or assistant principal, hey, I saw Aaron in the hallway earlier today with earbuds. I'm confused. Can you just help inform me whether this is appropriate or not? Yeah, it's fine. They have it as part of their 504 accommodation. Fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody in every school has a legitimate educational interest in knowing everything about every kid, nor could you possibly, right? You had, when you were in, you know, the classroom, you had an interest in the kids within your classroom. And so it is not only then on the flip side, right, a know your role is also then to know your role of the students within your classroom and those with which you have to serve. Right. And you need to, as a general education staff member, be aware of all of the kids within your caseload, who are on 504s, on IEPs. You need to be aware of what their needs are within your classroom. Maybe you have a a student on a 504 who um, is diabetic. It's an easier situation. They go to the nurse's office most of the time. You don't really have to be involved. But you may need to be aware of what the signs are to look for for some of their high sugar, low sugar sort of situations, right? That's appropriate for the gen ed instructor. Yeah, and and I wonder here also, are there backup systems? Because we all know, everyone listening, that we have serious staffing shortages. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a spot where, was this the first time? You know, maybe it was the first time the kid showed up and his escort wasn't there to help him get to class and somebody had to make a call at the front office, what do we do? were there other ways or moving forward, could there be other ways to address that shortage? Is it a, a call to the classroom? Hey, I'm sending so-and-so. Is it a call to whoever the staff member is out in the hallway? Is it an SRO or something, a school resource officer? I don't know. 
Um, are there calls to be made? Is there a, a paper pass or something that could limit that kind of verbal interaction? Maybe those are some backup systems that'll help. So not just knowing the accommodations, knowing your role as a staff member and where to intervene, when to intervene if it's a safety issue, but also then um, as, an, as a 504 IEP team, having backup systems to make sure that we get through these hiccups. Like when substitute teachers are involved and they're within right. a classroom and they there are provisions that they need to give to students within the classroom, whether it is making sure they have the preferential seating, if they're in charge of a test for that day, who gets time and a half or in, all of those aspects or who gets pulled out for a small group. If a kid were to go to leave for a small group testing environment and you're a sub, no, sit down. You don't leave. I mean, we need to have those things almost like a quick hit cheat sheet that's available to those staff members. So all of that is sort of the what if on the other side. But I do know that we also need to plan for the everyday, right? Yes, we are in a staffing shortage. Maybe that is our everyday known now. But I mean, if we go to the the true everyday knowns, it's also ensuring that all staff have the ability to access the information that they have a legitimate educational interest in knowing. FERPA, I gotta love it, right? But that they know it and can implement it. So if it's sending out IEP 504s at a glance or summaries or just the whole documents themselves, they all can have that. But at least I've looked at it from the perspective, I love when situations arise when staff go, oh, yeah, I've gotten it. And I signed receipt that I I received it, I read it, and I understand it, and agree I will implement it. Those are things that are key to me when, you know, we have to defend a case in those matters. So if you go back to your caller Mm -hmm. then, Erin, what's what's the rest of that call? Or maybe the quick summary. I think the quick summary is... IEPs, 504s, accommodations, modifications, it's for everybody in a building, right? It isn't saying everybody, again, has to know everything about everyone. But if it pertains to your role, you need to know about it. And if it doesn't, as we talked about the who, the what, and the where, you have to be able to act appropriately. But I do think we need to make sure all staff go back to the fundamental of education. It's first gen ed until we then have to move out and provide that access, that equality, or that specially designed instruction that's allowing a child to receive the general education up to those same standards as their peers. Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share and give us a review on your favorite podcast platform and follow or subscribe to On The Call. This helps other special education leaders find the podcast. If you have a topic you would like to suggest, a question about today's episode, or anything else you'd like to let us know, please email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. Whether by phone or this podcast, we're looking forward to being on the call with you again soon. 